Good morning. It is a joy to be with you. Please turn your Bibles or your copies of the Scriptures to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I am fascinated by um, the passage of Scripture that we're just ready to move into. I think, um, uh, now, now I have the advantage, well let me just tell you a little bit about my own journey with this portion maybe of Scripture. A number of years ago, a long time ago, Narita and I attended the Sharon Mennonite Bible Institute. One of the classes that we took the first uh, year we were ever there was the book of 2 Corinthians, taught by Elijah Yoder from Bunker Hill. Um, and Elijah had a really good way of, of teaching, and it, it came alive. And a few years later, we were invited back to, to uh, be a part of the faculty and they said, uh, would you be willing to teach 2 Corinthians? And it was, I, without hesitation, I said yes. It is an amazing book. And I, I, I've learned, this, is, uh, this portion that we're just getting ready to head into today is one of those portions, do you, do you know um, what I mean when it, it's like, it's the one you always turn to when you aren't feeling very good? Do you have Bible portions like that? Pieces of the scripture that you have... Uh, I'm, not just, I'm just not doing very well. I think I'll read this. Do, does that happen to you? Well, this portion is, and, and it can be uh, anything from when my dad died to when I have this feeling like I'm just not a good enough person to live in this world. You ever get that feeling? Like, you know all the problems you have? I mean, I do anyway. And then people tell you yet about all the problems you have, kind of drive it home. Does that happen to you all? Uh, um, when that happens, this is, again, this is the portion I go to. And it, this is really fascinating how it's set up. So the first chapter talks about suffering. Brenton uh, talked about that very well. And there is always question about what Paul suffered. He said for, in, in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experience in Asia. There are some people who think that Paul, and he goes on and says, for we... Um, for we were surely burdened beyond our strength. We despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. There are people who, uh, scholars who actually think that Paul most likely had been condemned to death. One of the ways the Roman world killed people, uh, made sport of them, was they would put them in an arena with wild animals. And you were expected to fight uh, the wild animals. Sometimes you were given a sword. Other times you were given uh, nothing. And uh, people filled the stadium to watch this happen. Uh, it was blood sport, kind of like the wrestling business today. Uh, sorry. Uh, but there are some people who think that Paul was given a death sentence and in some miraculous way escaped that, either by killing the wild animals or something. So this is a man who has experienced a great deal of trauma. His friends have been killed. People he's known very close have been killed. And, and uh, he's been sick. And he's had all this life happen to him. And so, so he talks about suffering. He begins that. And then um, Chris very ably shared last uh, couple of weeks ago about how that, then, then that brought up, he had to change his plans and then the emotional piece of it. And he had to change his plans and he had to hear people complain about him, saying, you're nothing but a fickle man, in it for the money. That, that was one of the things that they accused Paul of. You're in it for the money. You change your plans all the time. You do, you do what suits you best. 
And uh, Chris talked about how putting our trust in Jesus, that won't happen. But then, so Paul covers kind of all of that, and suddenly he launches in. And I've thought about doing this. By the way, uh, I read this statistic not long ago, and we need to change this probably. But um, the average evangelical uh, Christian church in America spends less than two minutes of a service reading Scripture, which is a travesty. That's a problem. Um, so I, I've actually thought about maybe this morning I should just get another translation and read. But I'm not going to this morning yet. I'm one of these Sundays. We'll, I'll surprise you with that. But um, this is a, it begins a section that would be ideal to do this. It begins in, in chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, verse 12, actually, in 14. But he goes on on this uh, kind of journey. Uh, all the way th- through the end of chapter 5 into the beginning part of chapter 6. And he, he does his thing. And so I want you to listen. I'm going to read a portion of it and just follow along or listen. Whatever works best for you. Uh, I'm going to begin at verse 14 of chapter 2. And again, think about what Paul has just said. He said, we've had suffering. We've had the sentence of death on us. We've had all this bad stuff happen. I've been accused of all these things. And he said uh, in chapter 2, verse 12, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest, because I couldn't find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. couldn't find his closest comrade. And he was, he was kind of lost. It, it that, but then he says something. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's Word, but people of sincerity. As commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to come commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourself are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory had come, has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, 
Whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of a God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. Whoops, I was going to stop there. I can barely stop reading this. He goes on and on, and he just keeps coming back. And he says, a little later he says, we have this beautiful treasure in jars of clay that are breaking apart, but the treasure's inside. And today we want to look at what is this treasure that Paul is so passionate about? What is it that drives him? And we'll begin by looking at that very first phrase, but thanks be to God. Now look, Paul has just been talking about all the problems he's had. Then he says, but thanks be to God, who in Christ Jesus always leads us in a triumphal procession. Now every reader in in Corinth would know exactly what Paul was saying. When the Roman world, the Roman army was, was the strongest army in the known world. It had conquered all of that world. And, and they would go out and fight. And when they won a battle, when they would win a battle, and I, I've said this before, they would send word back by runners, long-distance runners, who run places like the Grand Canyon and those places. And they'd send their best runners back. And these runners would come back and bring word back to the city. And it was not just Rome where they brought word. They would bring word to Philippi. They would bring word to Thessalonica. They would bring word to Corinth. All these Roman colonies. And the next morning, the officials of the city, would ha- they had a certain incense. Uh, you know, incense burning. They had a certain incense that they would burn. And when they burned that, they would start that incense. People would sniff. And they'd say, oh, we want a battle. We won the battle. Oh, we're going to have a parade. We're going to have a celebration. We're going to have a party. Now think about what Paul is saying. He's just been talking about all the problems they've had. But he said, thanks be to God, who in Christ Jesus always. Note, always. Every time. Leads us in that procession. And then... Here's another fascinating piece of context in history. When they would have that grand celebration, they would take a chariot and they would chain the enemy soldiers, generals, to the back of that chariot. These people would become slaves and uh, they they were conquered. And it was a sign that the Roman soldiers, the Roman army, had won the victory. Now just look at this passage. He says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession, Triumphal procession. That's what they called it. In Latin, they would call it a triumphal procession. And what I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, regardless what happens in life, I am with Brother Paul in saying, at the end, we are going to win. You know, we've had this problem with the wild beasts in Ephesus. We've had this problem with all this kind of emotional turmoil within the church. We've had this problem with all the suffering that's happening in our world, Paul is saying. But in the end, Jesus is always going to lead in a procession. And he said, when that fragrance, when you smell that, and you begin to smell and say, oh boy, we're going to have a party today. 
We're going to celebrate because something big has happened. We won the battle. Everyone gets off of work today. It became a national holiday. If you worked that day, well, that was your problem. But there was a national holiday. You could have that party. And, uh, but note, he says, but to, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, we are the fragrance from death to death. So our lives, when we live in such a way that celebrates the fact that King Jesus has won the victory, to some people, we smell like life. Oh man, I like being around people like that who celebrate King Jesus. Do you ever meet somebody and you say, oh, I just knew that they were a Christian. You could just smell it, in, uh, feel it, see it. Well, that's what Paul is talking about. He said, live your life in such a way that when you, when uh, this is the joyful moment for him, he's saying, we've had all these problems. Yes, yes, we've had 2020. We've had all these issues. We've had death. We've had problems. We don't know how to uh, figure out how to go forward. But at the end of the time, we have a king who knows the way, and he has won the victory, and we are in that triumphal procession. And he's this picture of us, not just Paul, but us. We are marching together, and to, to one group of people, we're spreading life. But then there are another group of people. Think about what that smell meant to uh, the opposing soldiers. That smell meant death. There's a parallel passage, and I don't have time to turn to it, in Colossians that you can look at. So, we are in a triumphal procession. What does that mean practically for us? What does that mean for us this week? Well, whatever we face, and I, and I find this fascinating that Paul puts it right after when he talks about what, has, what he's experienced. Whatever we face, Jesus has won the battle. I'm going to turn to the Colossians passage because I think it's important. Colossians chapter 2, I'll I'll just read it to you. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. What is the debt that stood against us with its legal demands? Sin and sinfulness. Right? Right? You were sinners. By canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands... This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And that word, by triumphing over them in him, is the very same Greek word that Paul uses for triumphal procession back here in 2 Corinthians. He set up the procession. The cross sets up the victory. Death. Jesus took death. Suffering, horribleness, nailed it to the cross. It's like uh, Chris, I think, said last week, he, he died for our sins, but he died for our shame. He died for our, our, the stripes that we were beaten with. He died for our pain. And he gives us the, the, the freedom to say, at the end of the day, we are going to win. And when you live like winners, you act differently than if you don't know if you're going to win. Right? Uh, This is off the record, but the Patriots with Tom Brady played completely different than the Browns did with Baker Mayfield. Now that might be changing. Who knows? Why? Because they knew they were winners. That's a cheap way to say that many of us uh, live like we're not sure if we're going to win. You know what? We're going to win. 
It's gonna make, it should make a difference at how we live. So we face those things with a different approach. Now, I, I need to... So he, he goes on, he says, Now, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Oh, what will I, I need to cover verse 17. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. He's saying we don't do this. We don't do this for money. If we did this for money, we'd be in trouble. Now, there are those out there who are peddling things. And the, the word that he uses there... Uh, sometimes it's translated corrupt. Uh, for, for we are not corrupt like so many, peddlers of God's word. Um, th- there are two uh, words that are used in the New Testament for people who sold things. One would be a, a merchant who wandered from city to city and sold stuff. The other was a retailer who, uh, who sold in the marketplace. And uh, especially food and especially wine. Wine was a common commodity because water was bad to drink. So they sold a lot of wine. Well, what do you do when you want your wine to last longer? You water it down. And, and he's saying, we are not like a lot of people who water down the wine. We don't do that. Because if we did that, we'd be selling a gallon of wine and uh, making more. He said, that's not how we handle God's Word. By the way, uh, these people were so... Uh, corrupt, that no one who sold in the marketplace in the previous 10 years could, could take part in any government in some of the Roman cities. That they were hucksters. They were, uh, sorry, the really bad flea market people selling knockoffs. I saw somebody, one of my sisters actually a number of years ago, bought a Gucci purse. And I laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. She bought it for two bucks. Anyway, does that tell you? It's a knockoff. I, uh, I saw watches that said Timex on the face for $1.50 at, at a, a flea market. And I laughed at the guy. I don't know if that was bringing life to him, but I laughed. I said, you either stole them or they're knockoffs. And he said, get away from my stand. Okay? That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, we don't do that. We're, we're going to be honest with God's word. And we're going to handle it well because at the end of the day, our side wins. We don't have to make, do that. And he goes through this long kind of uh, section here where, where he compares the two covenants. He's saying, now the old covenant was this, and he, and he uses Moses. And this is where the beautiful part, and I'm going to return to this the next time I preach. We're going we're to pick some of this up again. But he goes right in here, and notice he says, and what, I, what I, want, I want you to see is this. Now, if the ministry of death, verse 7, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which was being brought to an end. So remember the story when Moses gave the Ten Commandments, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He came down from the mountain and he caught the people worshiping the golden calf. So he threw the uh, Ten Commandments down, broke them, and then after he preached them a long sermon, he went and, and they lived some life. He went back up to the mountain again. And when he came back down, his face was shining. His face was shining so brightly that the people could almost not look at him. They... they his, and, and then, but he, the longer he was away from the presence of God, it would, it would kind of, it would fade away. Now we have often said, in, in it's the story is found in Exodus 34, um, that we've often said that the reason that Moses veiled his face is because he was too bright to look at, and that's not true. The reason that Moses veiled his face, it says this, both here and in Exodus, if you read it well, it says that the reason that Moses veiled his face is because the children of Israel could not bear to see that glory going away. 
fading away. And Paul says, so, this gospel, this life-changing thing that's happened to us, this is our hope. This is what we cling to. And he said, that's much bigger than the old covenant. The old covenant is a piece of it, but it's much bigger. And now, we can all be like Moses. Look look at verse uh, uh, 12. Since we have such hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. The glory fading. But their minds were hardened. He talks a little bit about this. Uh, Then verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is true freedom. You want to find true freedom? Find it in Jesus. And and then he says, and we all, I want you to catch that. Jesus leads every triumphal procession, and we all, we all, who is the we all? The people he's writing to, us, you and me, Merv, it's Andy, Cheryl, it's Mary, it's Jerry, it's Marcus. We all, with an open face, unveiled. We all, with an unveiled face. So take the veil off. Take the veil off. This is not about masks. Take the veil off. And the veil, when you remove the veil, that's what happens when you make that decision to follow Jesus. The veil is removed. And when that veil is removed, but we all, with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This, I have goose pimples right now. I have goose pimples right now, and it's not because I'm cold. It's because of the fact that when I sit in the presence of Jesus, when I look at Jesus, our King, the triumphal commander of our, of our force. Now, I want to just do a little work with this verse yet. And uh, <clears throat> so, it, so it has the idea. I think the King James says, "But we all, but we behold the glory of the Lord as in a glass, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord." And it has the idea that we look into the face of Jesus. And when we look into the face of Jesus, there is a transfusion of light, of power, of strength. Now, how many of you have the question, uh, how many of you know, I should, I, let me I'd be careful how I say this. How many of us are aware of the fact that we still need to change? Um, I, do, I am. And note, I, I want you to note a couple things about this pe- verse. But we all, and we all, with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. That word, are being transformed, or changed, literally means metamorphosized. The Greek word is metamorphos. What happens when a butterfly, a, ma, a caterpillar turns into a butterfly? 
And it's present tense, which means it's a continuing process. It doesn't all happen all at once. It is happening. Maybe Paul is saying, brothers and sisters, I'm not perfect. But I know one who is. I know one who is the amen of all things. I know one who leads us in the triumphal procession. I know one whose light does not fade. And I choose to sit with him. And in that, I am being changed. You want to change? You want to change? I'll tell you, you will, not, you will likely not change your inner man. You will not change your inner man by having more discipline. You will not change your inner man by squeezing harder and trying harder. You will change your inner man when you sit with Jesus. What does that mean? Oh, this is hilarious words for preachers. You know, they can say all this stuff. But what does it mean tomorrow? It means that, that we, we actually spend time in the presence of God. And that doesn't mean devotions. It, it may mean devotions. But that's not the only thing. Because we have, we've grown accustomed to the idea that if I spend 20 minutes, I'm okay. Do you think Paul did that? No, I don't think so. I think he lived with the reality that Jesus is my commander, that he's my king. He leads us in the triumphal procession. And in that, I sit in his presence. I live in his presence. I walk with him. I fight for him. And it's time to stop. But I want to ask you a question. The challenge I want to leave with you, and we'll return to this in two weeks. The challenge I want to leave with you is have you ever experienced the freedom that comes from saying, I don't have to try to change myself. All I need to do is sit in the presence of God. Let Him change me. By the way, that's... Uh, uh, it is also in the passive voice, so the subject receives the action of the verb. You are the subject. The action is changing. And the one who brings it is God. Now that changing can be really hard. It can be really painful. But it's the only way we're really going to reflect the glory of the Lord. Let's stand together. Lord, in the middle of 2020, in the third quarter of 2020, I like, we have had a year unlike any other. But this is not uh, unprecedented. There have been many times when God's people have experienced this kind of thing. There have been times when God's people have experienced death. There have been times when God's people have experienced pain. And Lord, as I think about this last portion of our time together at Providence it has been fraught with questions. But at the end of the day, help us return to that one solid fact that we are on a triumphal procession and Jesus, you are our King. And in that, and as we connect with you, as we grow with you, as we partake of life with you, there is a strength that comes from sitting in your presence. There is a light that comes from sitting in your presence. There is a glory that comes from sitting in your presence. And I pray that as people look at us, they would say, oh, that smells like life. That smells like victory. I want a part of that. 
And that we would be the kind of people who would try, quit trying to squeeze change out of ourselves and let you change us. And in the moments when your spirit speaks to our hearts, when it says, now Marcus, are you sure you want to do that? That I would be the kind of person who listens and hears. Thank you. Thank you that the power is not of us, but the power surpasses us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that your glory might be revealed throughout all the world. In Jesus' name, amen.